morning, everybody. Um, what I'm going to talk about today is kind of taking a step back and approaching this uh, topic from the standpoint of you've heard a lot of different strategies this weekend on how to approach the markets, uh, systems, techniques, <clears throat> and so what I decided to do was to basically say, okay, well, what do you do once you've kind of decided the course that you want to take as far as literally sitting down at your desk saying, okay, now I'm ready to basically start a trading campaign. What are, what's the whole process, the life process, so to speak, on, on becoming a, a, a trader or, or investor, however you want to call it? Um, what are some of the things that I have to <clears throat> basically consider uh, before, during, and after I get started? And to clarify this, what I did was I used a case study, uh, case study with the uh, U.S. Treasury bond futures market. However, keep in mind that I could have done this with any stock or, or any currency or any freely traded market. I just simply chose uh, the U.S. Treasury bond market because it's, it's a big market. Everybody knows it. And being a uh, futures-oriented uh, trader, I uh, was partial to that market. But uh, please don't... Uh, don't let uh, you know the term futures sway you in any way, as far as uh, uh, thinking that it's only futures that I'm talking about. It's basically any freely traded market. So that being said, uh, let, let's get started. Like it says here, uh, the goal is. To <clears throat> the goal of this presentation is to review the nature of quantitative models. We're going to explore the following. Why use systems to trade? How to prepare a system development effort? Goals for historical testing? A case study of an actual system development campaign from start to finish? How much leverage to use? What do I do once I get started? When do I increase or decrease the number of contracts traded? Or it could be shares of stock traded for any stock or universe of stocks that you're following. So firstly, <clears throat> why use quantitative systems to trade markets? So before <clears throat> I go into the specifics about designing trading systems, I'd like to explain why it's beneficial to use them at all. There are many people in the academic and financial worlds, I'm sure you've heard, <clears throat> that doubt the effectiveness of using mechanical systems to buy and sell in the markets. They claim that the, the markets are efficient and that any information is quickly reflected in the price of any stock or commodity, especially if you guys read any type of uh, academic books on finance and economics. There is uh, theories uh, called the efficient market theory where it states that over the long run, the information that all the participants have in, in any 
given stock or, or bond is the price is quickly reflected uh, as to any information that comes out about it so that in the long run it's basically impossible to uh, to get a leg up so to speak on on the next guy next to you or the next trader next to you keep in mind this is called efficient market theory the capital uh, T theory uh, lately there's been uh, academics uh, at some of the biggest universities that um, have basically begun to retract that theory and kind of soften it up and state that there are instances or there are circumstances where it is possible to extract profit from any freely traded market given some type of uh, systematic approach to, to, to one's trading. And this would explain why some traders have been able to consistently make money trading in the markets over the course of uh, 10, 20 years, 30 years maybe. The benefits of using systems to trade is the ability they give a trader to be consistent and disciplined over long periods of time. Like any other business to be successful, there has to be a business plan. That is why a trading system that is what a trading system is, a business plan. By consistent and disciplined, I'm referring to a trader being able to cut his losses on losing positions and attempting to ride out his winning positions as long as possible. To be successful, a trader has to be able to do this continuously over a period of years if he has any chance of being successful, as we'll see later on in the presentation. The amount of time that that could possibly be involved in one's trading campaign between making money and not making money in periods of losing money, which is part of every trader's business uh, career. So now that being said, how are we going to prepare for historical testing? Before using real money, I and pretty much everybody else that I know, what they do on any trading system is that they verify the validity of this idea on past market data with the idea simply being that if this is a valid idea, then not only should it make money in the future, but also it should have extracted a profit from the markets in the past as well. So the first thing to do is to decide on what software, assuming that you will be a computerized trader, to use. The dominant vendor for this, in my opinion, is uh, TradeStation by Omega Research. <clears throat> it's got just about every tool you need to analyze systems and is definitely worth the investment if you're thinking about putting any type of money into the market. Secondly, you must obtain historical data in your systems to test out past, uh, past ideas and see how the system performed. There are a number of special companies that 
sell only data. After you select a company, you must decide what kind of format to use. By that I mean uh, in commodity markets, and that would include bond futures or currency futures. They're run down here. Excuse me. Um, I had to, uh, and you will too if you decide to, you'll have to choose which type of contracts to input because the issue with futures is that they keep continuously expiring throughout the year. So if you want to test any type of time span, like a decade or so, you're going to find that you have, you're going to find that you have 30 or 40 different contract months. For example, in the bond market, it's a uh, quarterly expiration, so you have four contracts per year. So if you want to test 10 years of data, you're going to have 40 contracts to input. Now, the way around that is that you can use a continuous contract, which is a adjusted contract that is basically composed of all the contracts together. And that way you only have one file. Uh, there are certain issues with using that. And all of the uh, data companies have uh, uh, problems and not problems, but they explain to you the advantages and disadvantages of, of, of using continuous contracts versus using individual contracts. Uh, and for example, since the contracts are all rolled up into one, there can be some sort of distortion that results because of the switch from one month to the next. For example, as of this writing, the December S&P 2000 contract is uh, trading at 14.43, and the March 2000 contract is trading at 14.64. The difference of 21 points is due to the carrying costs of the basket of stocks until next March. If we were to roll these contracts into one, there would have to be a adjustment made to the contract. Otherwise, we would have a 21-point difference from one day to the next. So if we were testing out a system, and the system is long S&Ps, or short S&Ps, rather, and the two, December 2000 contract expires, then when you roll over to the March 2000 contract, or 2001, I'm sorry, that's a typo, um, you would find that there's a big gap, and it would create erroneous results in your system testing because you would be, for example, short the S&P contract, and then from one day to the next, the contract would be $21 higher. So it would create some type of a, it, it's a problem. If you're going to be testing 5, 10, 15 years of data, then it becomes an issue. Historical testing. Uh, goals and limitations once we've decided what type of data we're going to use uh, then we're ready to go ahead and actually start doing the interesting part of the uh, of, of system development the goal of historical testing is to validate the profitability of any idea you have on the markets but even after you find an idea that has proved to be profitable you must ask yourself why is it profitable and not just a chance event? There has to be some sort, <clears throat> some sound logic as to why a system works. To illustrate this process, we will use a trend-following system to guide us through this process. At this point, it is appropriate first 
to discuss the general categories of systems. Trend following and counter trend following or counter trend systems. Trend following systems measure the up or down trend in a market and establish a position in the, in the direction of the trend, of the current trend. The idea is that once a position is established, the market will keep going in that direction until it reaches a point of equilibrium. At that point, prices will begin to go sideways or back down and the position will be exited at a profit. The concept here is that prices need to move up or down until the market reaches equilibrium. We can capitalize on this distinct behavior of markets by going with the trend, thus the name trend following. Counter trend following systems do just the opposite of trend following systems. They determine the trend of a market and establish a position against it. The concept here is that markets are in equilibrium most of the time and any price moves are nothing more than short-term supply or demand imbalances that will quickly adjust themselves by, process, by prices moving the opposite direction in short order. Both concepts are valid. Markets are in equilibrium most of the time. In fact, it is estimated that markets are in equilibrium about 80% of the time. If you examine chart one, we can see that the S&P 500 index has been in a range this year from, at the time of this writing, 1333 to 1527. Most trend following systems in a market like this would most likely have losses. On the other hand, markets do go through periods of price adjustment, thus creating trends. If we look at chart two, we can see that the US dollar index has had a substantial trend. This is much less frequent because the fundamental facts of a market do not change from one day to the next. It takes months of economic reports that central banks monitor to make changes to their policies for the economies. And that is really the main driver of any big move that you see uh, in the S&P 500 index or in bond markets or in currency markets. And to a more minute level, to individual stocks, it's certain fundamental events that create the large price moves, which is what a trend-following trader is looking for. For example, when the U.S. economy goes into a recession, it can take several months to years for it to come out of it. During this time, the Federal Reserve Bank is usually in an interest rate easing mode. It is no coincidence that the best trend-following techniques are usually longer-term systems. They tend to use more data to calculate buy and sell signals. This is not the case for counter-trend techniques. Most counter-trend systems usually use less data to calculate buy and sell signals. This coincides with the fact that they are not trying to measure the fundamental picture. These systems are trying to exploit short-term demand supply imbalances that have nothing to do with the overall fundam fundamental state of a particular market. Short-term price movements can be caused by many other factors besides fundamental events, if at all fundamental events. 
For example, in the futures markets, you can have traders who are not concerned with the current price of the market, and they will buy or sell regardless of where price is. Examples could be a bond portfolio manager who is holding a cash bond portfolio who sells short bond futures to protect his portfolio from a market decline. His objective is not to profit from shorting bond futures, <clears throat> but rather to break even on the transaction, and thus his non-concern of where price is. Another example could be a mutual fund manager who shorts S&P 500 futures to protect his equity portfolio. This is quite different from traders who are trading for profit only. It is important that we keep these two concepts in mind. A case study of an actual system development from start to finish. So we are now ready to look at an actual system. We will examine a system called volatility breakout, which is a very common uh, system that can I think you can buy it off uh, websites for $20. It's been around for a very long time. Uh, the historical testing was done on Omega Trade Station. The data was on a daily time frame using a continuous contract for the uh, CBOT US bond contract. Many traders with a good degree of success have used this system. The system is short-term trend following that uses breakouts to get into trades. The average true range is calculated for the last four days. If today's price is moved by more than the average range plus 20% from yesterday's close, then the trade is taken via a buy or sell stop that is placed before the open. Exits are taken at the first profitable open after entry. There are many decent systems available, and I only picked this one for illustration. As you can see by table one, system has been profitable over the years. More importantly, however, what you cannot see by simply looking at the net results are the incredibly long periods of time that anyone trading this system would have to wait out between new equity highs. Examining table two, you can see that the average number of days between uh, new equity highs was 224. That's practically one year of trading days that you would have to wait out until your system was making new equity highs and thus making money. If you were to begin trading this system at an equity high, you might have to wait one year before you would start making money. Let's examine table three. The annual trading summary. There are seven years with losses. This means that the system makes money in very short periods of time, but then languishes for much longer periods of time. It is quite obvious that this system requires a level of extremely high patience. If you cannot wait out years between new equity highs, you should not trade it. If you do, you run the risk of not letting the probabilities play out and thus quitting during a drawdown and losing money. So what do we do next? We diversify our systems to alleviate these, these negative qualities. And just about any system that you test that's, that's reasonable uh, will have periods of, of drawdown. 
periods where the system is in a losing mode and the only thing you can do is just wait it out and keep trading your system. So let's examine a counter trend technique. Remember the first technique was a trend technique. So now we're going to go and look at the results of a counter trend technique for the U.S. bond market and see how it affects the equity curve. We will examine the moving average fader system. The system uses a 3 and a 10 day moving average. However, when the 3 day average goes below the 10 day average, we buy the next day on the open. Normally, if we were trend followers, we would go with the price momentum and go short. To exit the position, we wait for one day, <coughs> one day to pass and exit the next day at the close. The reason for this is because we know that prices are in equilibrium most of the time. Therefore, if prices have just fallen and we have gone long, we need to give the market a day so that it has time to go back to equilibrium vice versa for shorts. So this system is much more active. It's not trying to catch any type of big move caused by some type of fundamental change that's going on. This is just simply getting in and out on, on a very frequent basis. So as, we, as you can see by table four, the system has been profitable over the years. Like the volatility breakout system, it has long periods of negative performance. Examining table five, you can see that the average number of days between new equity highs was 243. That's 243 trading days. So let us examine table six, the annual trading summary. There are seven years with losses. However, the important fact to realize is the non-correlation of the losing years to the previous system. If we examine table seven, there were only two losing years that coincided with both systems, 92 and 95. This is a very important fact because of the diversification that we are getting as a result of incorporating the counter trend following with the trend following systems. Now we are no longer in a position of possibly going through years without making new equity highs in our account as well as this having obvious monetary benefits psychologically it makes it much easier for the trader to be disciplined over long periods of time thus enhancing his chances of ultimate success this is due to the fact that the trader will find it easier to follow his systems if he has a sense that he is making money during most of his trading campaign leverage Leverage is the one factor that I've seen that has taken down some of the smartest traders that I've uh, known and have not known. I'm sure all of you have heard of the uh, long-term capital management group that was based in Connecticut. They had three Nobel Prize uh, winners and basically institutions had to beg them to uh, take their money. I think they had about a billion or two billion under management and it was considered the uh, highest uh, intelligence concentration and out of any trading room in the world. They were the, the top of the creme de la creme of, of brains and trading power.
and I think three years later they blew up, basically losing I think 95 percent or could be argued 100 percent of their capital because of leverage. This is perhaps one of the most important concepts for any trader to understand. During my trading career I've seen many traders with sound trading plans get wiped out. This was due to one simple fact, over leveraging. Leverage is the amount of capital you'll <coughs> allocate to trade a certain amount of contracts or stock in any market for a particular system. To make this concept vivid, we will go back to our system results and discuss how much capital we would allocate to each system. We will then figure out how much capital we would allocate to these systems to simultaneously trade them. Firstly, we must assume that we will trade only these two systems. One of them is trend following and one is counter trend. The first thing we examine is the largest equity drawdown for each system in table two and table five. This would be 20, approximately 22,000 for the volatility breakout system and 32,000, 33,000 for the moving average fader system. This is the largest peak to valley dip that a hypothetical account would have gone through had it been trading the system in the past. Now we must ask ourselves, what is the probability that this is to repeat itself in the future? From my experience, the largest drawdown in the past will not, will not only probably happen again in the future, but will probably be exceeded. This is due to the fact that in any testing analysis, as you add more data to your test, you almost always get the same results larger drawdowns. The reason for this being as more data is added to a simulated testing of a system, the market moving events that are included, the more market moving events that are included. For example, wars, recessions, and oil embargoes are all events that would have been included <coughs> if one were to use the last 25 years of market history to test. This is compared to none of these events being covered if one were to use only the last three years of data. As more market moving events are added, the chances of experiencing greater drawdowns increases. Thus, we must also use other more common sense measures to determine the amount of leverage to use. I always look at what I call the leverage ratio. This is simply the dollar amount of your positions divided by your account equity. For example, if we were trading U.S. Treasury bonds, one contract priced at 125 is equal to $125,000. All futures contracts have a leverage factor, which can be looked up in any guide. If we had $50,000 in our account, then our leverage ratio would be two and a half times, 125000 divided by 50. For every <coughs> dollar we have, we are controlling two and a half dollars. I recommend that traders keep this leverage ratio at three times or lower, especially, especially when you're starting out. And only would I increase that after you've got a couple of years under your belt and you really start getting more experience and confidence in your in your trading. According to Table Two, if we were to use the drawdown of 22,800 as our maximum loss point and thus our starting capitalization. Our leverage ratio for one treasury bond contract priced at 125 would be approximately 
all we did was divide the uh, contract dollar amount by the largest drawdown and assume that that's what it would be in the future, and that's how we got a 5.5 leverage ratio. That's nearly double the amount and twice the volatility, thus, that your account would experience. Okay, what do I do once I get started? Once the trader has set his trading plan, he not only has to monitor it, but he has to evaluate his performance to see if there is any decay in system performance. Many traders assume that once they automate their system, they can put everything on autopilot. Unfortunately, if it were this easy, there would be many more successful traders than there are now. Critical decisions must be made periodically during a trading campaign to determine whether to keep using a particular system or to, con <clears throat> to conclude that the system has lost its effectiveness. Markets are <clears throat> continuously in a state of change due to different economic policies and evolving technology. Sometimes these changes are enough to make past successful systems no longer effective in the future. We will examine three factors that must be monitored. Average time between equity peaks, slippage, and efficiency of capturing price moves. One factor that the trader has to be consistently aware of is average time between equity peaks. This is a measure of days in days of the amount of time between equity peaks and measures the amount of time the trader has to wait until he starts making money again. If we examine historical average time between equity peaks of a particular system and compare it to more current lengths, we can get a feel if the particular system is as profitable as it once was. If the trader notices that the time he has to wait is increasing, then that is a sign that the system is losing some of its effectiveness. Slippage is another often underestimated factor that can greatly affect the profitability of any system. Slippage is the difference of what price a system wanted to trade at versus what price was actually traded. For example, a system that uses stop orders in U.S. bond futures could see stop orders that usually get executed at the price of the stop suddenly start getting executed one tick for the worse, which is actually the case as we speak. It is easy to dismiss this type of cost until you sum the total amount of trades and realize that the slippage has been costing you thousands of dollars per year per contract. Sometimes slippage can determine whether a system is profitable or not. Efficiency of capturing price moves can be defined by the total price move in a market compared to the amount of that price move that your system was able to capture. For example, if the U.S. bond futures contract has an upward trend of 10 points before prices finally fall back and your system is able to capture 5 points of it, then there is a 50% efficiency rate that has been achieved. The trader has to keep in mind that, this <coughs> that, his style, that the style of his system when comparing the efficiency of it scratch that sentence. <laughs> Sorry. If you were using a trend-following system, then a 50% efficiency rate would be agreeable. If you were using a counter-trend-following system and the efficiency rate was only 10%, then that would be allowable, considering that he had a counter-trend str strategy in a trending market. So it has to be taken into consideration the type of moves that, that 
the market is making and thus how much of that move your system can take out. Let's examine a particular case in the currency market to illustrate this monitoring process. Back in the 1980s, many traders made very good returns trading the currency markets with trend-following systems. The political environment back then provided an excellent setting for prolonged currency moves because the central banks of Europe and the U.S. were much slower to interact with each other and take into consideration each other's financial position when making decisions about where they wanted their currencies to be valued at. As a result of this delayed cooperation, currency movements would last months as the markets would be much slower to adjust to the true value of a particular country's currency. However, starting in the 1990s, that began to change. With the rapid movement in techno technological advancements, and the increasing globalization of world economies, central banks began to consider each other's economic positions, and the market began to accelerate the rate at which it adjusted the values of countries' currencies. As a result of this, trends that would last for months were now happening in weeks. This made the trend-following strategy much more prone to losing because by the time that the systems would signal a trade, the price move was closer to being over. Many managers that had been very successful using the strategy in the 1980s suddenly found themselves questioning the validity of their strategies. If we examine a trend-following strategy, we can see an actual example of this. We will use a trend-following strategy that many man <coughs> managers actually use called channel breakout. Very popular system been around for extremely uh, 20, 30 years, maybe longer. Uh, the system goes long when prices make a new 40-day high and exit the long position when prices make a new 20-day low, vice versa for short positions. The market is the Swiss franc future, traded at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. If we examine Table 8, we can see that the system was very profitable with a profit factor of 2.92. Profit factor is simply just gross profits divided by gross loss. Furthermore, the average time between equity peaks was 321 days. <clears throat> if we examine Table 9, we can further see that there were no losing years. Now let's move to the 1990s. At this point, we have to consider a few factors. Many market participants had noticed the returns that had been generated using trend-following systems in the 1980s, and they too decided to use the strategy. As a result, now you have a market that has more competition as more and more traders start to compete with each other. Managers that had been using the strategy in the 1980s were comfortable using rather high leverage ratios, as they had been very successful up until that time. When the 1990s arrived, all of these factors contributed to the downfall of some very, up until that time, successful traders. Many traders found themselves in bigger drawdowns than they had ever experienced before, as their systems produced more losing trades with greater frequency. If we examine Table 10, we can see that the profit factor dropped down to 1.98 from 2.92. Upon further examination, 
we see that now the average time between equity peaks has increased to 455 days. If we examine table 11, we now see that 1993 through 95 were losing years. Quite a change from the 1980s. Slippage was also a contributor to greater losses by traders using this strategy. As more traders began to use trend-following strategies in the 1990s, they began to place their stops at the same price levels, thus causing vacuums in price. The result was greater transaction costs. The efficiency of capturing price moves for trend following also deteriorated. This again was caused by the increased competition that traders had from one another as they all competed to try to catch the currency moves. The result is that uptrends and downtrends that back in the 1980s would proceed in an orderly manner now had violent corrections as bunches of stop orders would get hit simultaneously causing corrections and trends that would shake out the trend following systems. The lesson to be learned here is that a constant monitoring is required once a trader starts to trade his system for signs that the markets are changing. In the above example, the trader who started back in the 1990s and who successfully realized that the change in market conditions in the 1990s could have scaled back the amount of leverage he was using in anticipation of greater future drawdowns. Ironically, the trend-following strategy was still successful in the 1990s, but yet some of the most successful traders still went out of business because they failed to realize the signs of changing market conditions. This brings us to our next topic. Suppose that our hypothetical trader did recognize these signs and reduced the amount of leverage and continued to grow his capital at the same time. At some point, he must increase his position size or his return on capital will start to decrease. When do I in increase the number of contracts traded? This question must carefully be thought about as it can greatly determine the final success or failure of a trader's career. System traders as well as discretionary traders tend to trade similar position sizes from one trade to the next. For example, a system trader usually has a finite amount of capital and he might trade three contracts per signal for the course of one year. If his capital increases, he might increase his size to five contracts after his capital increases by 50% or more. This is because the capital amount does not vary usually by more than 5 or 10% from one trade to the next unless the trader is highly leveraged. However, most successful traders do not use excessive leverage. As a result of, <coughs> of contract sizes, traders usually have to wait until their capital increases by at least 50% before they can increase the number of contracts they trade. For example, one S&P futures 500 contract as of this writing is worth $361,000. The trader wants to increase his system to two contracts per signal. That would increase his position size to $722,000. That is a considerable increase for most traders. 
the reasonable trader would let his capital increase by at least $200,000 before adding one more contract so that his leverage would not increase so dramatically. Let me elaborate. Suppose the system is capitalized with $75,000 to trade one S&P futures 500 contract. His leverage ratio is 4.81. Now suppose the capital increases to 125000 and the trader adds one more contract per signal. Now the ratio is 5.78 to 1. The increase in leverage is about 17%, even though the capital has increased by a greater 66%. Luckily, there are some solutions to alleviate this problem, trading many contracts. But what we are illustrating this example is to remind you of the basic concept here. One must be very careful about how you increase your position size. I have seen many traders have initial success in the markets, increase their position sizes, and consequently lose all of their profits they made in the markets and more. And then they end up going through intolerable drawdowns because of their bigger position sizes and shut down all because of bad position size management. In summary, we have reviewed the factors that must be considered by every trader who uses systems to trade. Too many traders make the mistake of developing a system and then fall into a state of complacency as they sit back and wait for the money to come in. In reality, systems trading involves much more work, which includes a careful process of constant monitoring to ensure long-term success.